My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website at hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. Let's check out 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you don't have it, I'll have it up on the screen for you guys. Uh, This is going to be in the ESV version. Um, So if you want to pull that up, you can, or a different version to get a better idea of what the entirety of Scripture says. But uh, here we go. Let's start out. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 1 and 2 is where we're going to start. And here's what Paul says. So we just got done talking about how they boast in themselves and everything. But here's what he says. And this could be confusing. I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. So Paul's like, all right, I'm going to be a little foolish here. So he says, do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So let's talk about this for a second. What is this foolishness that Paul wishes they would bear with him in, right? What foolish thing is he about to do? Because Paul just said, I'm about to do something foolish, And I want you guys to bear with me as I do this. What he's about to do is something we rarely see Paul do because he is disgusted by doing it. He's about to hype himself up. What we're going to see in chapter 11 is Paul talk about himself. He's about to boast, quote unquote boast, because what we'll find out in a second is he's really just boasting in Jesus, but, uh, but he's going to boast in himself. And generals, generally speaking, it's usually a bad sign when you find someone talking themselves up, right? Like nobody, nobody wants to hang out with that guy. Like whenever they have to talk about themselves and boast in themselves, telling everyone how awesome you are is actually telling everyone how not awesome you are, right? Whenever somebody has to boast about themselves, like no, again, you're just like, oh, so you're not awesome. Like if you have to, if you have to do that for yourself, then that's kind of what you have to do. I had a pastor um, that talked about a story and it cracked me up. Is uh, is is that he would uh, he had a vi- he has a he had a visitation that he just went like to visit the, these church members and when they open the door there's this husband that's standing at the top of the stairs like in his underwear and he's like yelling down to the wife and he's like I'm the one in charge I'm the one in charge and and I'll, I'll never forget he always said you know what that told me he's not the one in charge <laughs> like because if you have to scream it then it's probably not true if you have to boast about yourself then it's probably Probably not true, all right? But he's going to do that. Paul is saying, look, I realize how foolish it is for me to talk highly about myself. But he says, but bear with me for a moment because even though it's something that only fools do, he's being forced to do it. He's being forced to talk about himself. Why? Because these false teachers that have infiltrated the church have done so by talking themselves up and have been trying to discredit Paul so they can lay claim to the success that has been going on in Corinth. But by discrediting Paul, they are also discrediting what? The gospel. 
The gospel that Paul brought. If they can discredit Paul, they can discredit the gospel that he preached, which was the true gospel. And Paul cannot let that happen. So when Paul boasts in this chapter, he's not really boasting in himself. To do that is considered foolishness to him, like he said. And he actually condemns that in the previous chapter. And he also condemns it in uh, chapters that follow. But it's not just to protect the gospel. If you notice there what he says in that scripture, he actually condemns that, oh, I'm sorry. It's not, it's not just to protect the gospel. There's another reason he is going to boast. And it's because what? What does he say there at the end? Or at, in, in verse two. For I feel what? A divine jealousy for you. So he's about to do something foolish because he feels a divine jealousy for them. Now, I want to park on that word jealous for just a moment because maybe you read that and you go, but isn't jealousy like a sin? Like what? Like I, I want to show you something that I think is, is, is pretty cool. So uh, this divine jealousy, that word divine is, is another word that, you know, for God, we talked about that last week. So it's this godly jealousy that he has for them. So there are two types of jealousy that I want us to understand. One is sinful and one is righteous, all right? And the main difference is the word of, O-F, and for, F-O-R. Let me explain. Being jealous of people is a sin. Being jealous for people is a righteous jealousy. So let's talk about that for a second. In the scripture, Paul says he is jealous for them. He doesn't say he's jealous of anyone. He's saying he's about to do something foolish because he has a divine jealousy for you, those, those people in Corinth. In this scripture, he says divine jealousy because it's the kind of jealousy that God has for us as well and has for all mankind, but especially his followers. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, I've got this verse up here for you guys. Look at what it says. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is what? Jealous. Is a jealous God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. So jealousy is a very strong emotion. Would you agree with that? How many of you guys have felt jealousy before? You know what it is, right? I remember um, in, in, I don't know if... Whenever like you were in like middle school or high school and you had like a boyfriend or a girlfriend or something like, and they were talking to somebody else. You remember? You'd be like, what are you doing? Why are you talking to them? What? I, like, I remember like having relationships in like junior high and high school. And any time that my girlfriend would be talking to someone else, I would, I would get this like jealousy. Oh, they're going to leave me for them. And, and I, 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 I can't handle that. Like it was just, it was just, it was terrible. I am so glad um, to have a wife that I, I never get jealous. Like if she's talking to anybody else, it, it don't really bother me. Why? Because she is as faithful as they come right? And so it's, it's incredible to be on that side of it. And I'm like, man, I, I would never want to go back and I want to experience that jealousy again. And if you think about it, man, that jealousy is just a selfish thing. So, so, so what's, he, what's he saying here? If you guys notice, jealousy is a strong emotion. And when it boils down, when we boil it down, it's just a desire to want. 
I think both instances, jealousy of someone and jealousy for someone, those are just desires to want. But you either want something of someone or you want something for someone. There's a difference. A righteous jealousy deeply wants good for others. And there is no greater good than to have a jealousy or a want for someone to come to know Christ. And if someone knows Christ, you have a jealousy for them to grow deeper in their relationship with Christ. I want that for every single one of you guys. For you to grow in a deeper relationship. I'm, I'm jealous for that. And that type of jealousy is where a desire for justice comes from. It's also where your tearful prayers for the lost come from if you've ever prayed that fervently for someone. It's that jealousy that brings tears to your eyes when someone is far from the Lord that you love. And it just pains you inside to see that person not following Christ. That's, that's that righteous jealousy inside of you for that person. And it causes you to reach out to them and it causes you to pursue them. And this is the type of jealousy that God has for us. This type of jealousy, it's, this, it's a jealousy Christ had for us that led him to the cross. That's pretty incredible. And that, that jealousy that pursues you whenever you stray, that's an amazing, amazing thing. That God is so jealous for us that whenever we walk away from him, he will pursue us. I thank God that he pursued me in moments that I wanted to walk away or decided to stray, you know, a little bit. That's what, you know, the story in the Bible, whenever it talks about how God, if he has, you know, a hundred sheep and one goes astray, that he'll leave the 99 behind and he'll go after that one who was led astray. Why? Because he's a jealous God, because he's jealous for his kids, right? And, and just a, just a little plug. This is like, if you get, you can, can you guys be petty about stuff? Like I'm petty about stuff sometimes. Like you have never and will never hear me lead reckless love. <laughs> you just won't. Because like in that song, whenever he says, you know, that, that he has this, you know, reckless love for us that leaves the 99, that's not reckless. That's not the definition of reckless. What that word needs to be is jealous. So I'm thinking about calling him and being like, let's, let's just erase that word reckless. Let's call it jealous love. God. I don't think it would sell as much because reckless sounds way cooler. But, uh, but I mean, that's really what that is ultimately. That's the emotion that God has is that jealousy for his kids. And praise God that he, that he has that. But, but the thing that I have to ask myself and the thing that I want to bring before you as your pastors, which direction, let's take a moment and just think about it, in which direction is your jealousy mostly directed? I have to think about that myself because I, I do experience emotions of jealousy. Like, let me, let me be transparent with you guys for just a minute. I have, I have friends who, who are pastors in this city and there, there are times I've got to protect myself because I can become jealous of them for what God is doing in their church. When really I need to, that, that jealousy is completely misdirected. What I should be is jealous for those people that are in their church. To see them grow in Christ and to see them flourish, you know, in their spiritual walks. 
That's what, I, that's what I should be jealous is that, but my jealousy is often misdirected and I'm jealous of instead of jealous for. So where, where we got to think about that. Where is our jealousy mostly directed? Are you more jealous of others or for others? Being jealous of shows a heart of dissatisfaction for God's provision in your own life. If I'm jealous of, I'm like, God, I don't have enough. I can see what you've given me, but it's not good enough. Being jealous Four shows a heart of loving dissatisfaction in others' spiritual lives. It's okay for me to be dissatisfied in someone else's spiritual life because I want so badly for them to know Christ. I want so badly for them to walk so close to him. Jesus didn't have an attitude of I want of people, right? Jesus had an attitude of I want for people and it led him to the cross. And this is the jealousy that Paul had for Corinth in this chapter. Paul wants so badly for the church in Corinth to be presented. If you see this, the rest of this verse right here, he wants to see them presented as a pure virgin to Christ. What does that mean? It means undefiled. That's what he wants to see them. The picture he paints is that their purity is being defiled by false teachers with their prideful and selfish leadership and their false gospel that they're preaching. And as a pastor, I can definitely identify that. I, like I just said, I want so badly for all of you to be pure in your devotion for Christ. Like that's what I pray for for you guys. I pray that you will be pure in your devotion. Yeah, I pray for other things too in your life. But the main thing that I pray for for you guys is the purity in your devotion to Christ. I don't want you to be corrupted by the wisdom and the understanding that the world gives or this city gives or your own understanding for that matter. This is one reason God gave us the scripture. One is so that we can know him, first of all, but also so that we can identify and withstand the corruption that leads to our destruction, that defiles our purity. This is what sin does. It defiles our purity. God wants what will help us and not to harm us. And so he tells us in scripture, the sins to steer clear of and the righteousness to walk in. Why? So that we can be pure, so that we can have an undefiled walk uh, with him because that's where joy really is. But we are all, and I'll, again, I'll speak for myself, so easily deceived. How many of you guys feel like you're pretty easily deceived sometimes? Yeah, me too. And it's so, it's so tough. Look at verse three for a second because he speaks to this deception. He says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Look who's the ultimate deceiver behind corruption. Oh, it's not there. Where'd it go? Oh, I don't see it. Missed it? Yeah. Boom, there it is. And it's gone. Okay. Pretend it's there. Um, so, so I'll read it again just because it's not on the screen for you guys. But it says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. So what does that tell us? That tells us that that Satan himself is methodically planning out the downfall of man and the downfall of believers, the downfall of you. Don't think that he's not because he 100% is. He wants us to mess up. He wants to corrupt us. He wants to defile the purity of our walks with Christ. And how did Satan get to Eve? Think about this for a second. The same way that he gets to us, the same way that he gets to me, by taking a lie and then wrapping it in a bow 
and then making it look appetizing by making it look alluring, by trying to convince me that what I'm about to do really isn't that bad, really isn't a sin, right? That's what he wants to do for me. I love how he just exposes the enemy's tactics here. And then in verse 4, it says this, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, all right, so if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, then the one we proclaimed or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So he's like, you just put up with it. If somebody shows up with some different stuff, you just put up with it. And uh, nothing has really changed if you think about it. The same playbook that Satan had back then, he still uses today on us. The same exact playbook. People then and now we're tempted to take the Jesus of the Bible and morph him into a Jesus that is more palatable. That's what, that's what a lot of people want to do. That's what I want to do. That's what I'm tempted to do sometimes because following Jesus is hard. Whenever I say things like, oh, that makes more sense to me. Like if this is, this is the Jesus that makes more sense to me, right? Like there are a lot of people that will say, well, I mean, my God would never send anyone to hell. Like I've heard, I've heard people say that. What are they doing? They're just trying to make things more palatable because in their own understanding, they don't understand the justice of God and, and the wrath of God and also the necessity of punishment. Like God would not be good if he were just to let everybody go scot-free. So people don't think that far about it. They're just like, nah, that's less palatable. So I'm gonna make Jesus like this, right? And he, and he whispers those same words. The enemy whispers those same words to us that he did to Eve. What did he say to Eve? Did God really say, right? That's what he says to us as well. He's like, did Jesus really say that? Like, I don't think Jesus actually said that, right? Instead of a spirit, he talks about a spirit, a different spirit. Instead of a spirit of holiness, we are convinced that, a, that like we're often convinced that a spirit of tolerance is best. Like, oh, don't, don't, don't seek holiness. Let's just all be tolerant, right? I, I saw this yesterday. Somebody posted this and I thought it was so, so incredibly good. Listen to what this says. Jesus warns the church against tolerance. Follow me. Which leads them into immorality and idolatry. We see that, we saw that happen in Corinth. Listen to this. Our culture often confuses love and tolerance. The two couldn't be more different. Love seeks the other person's good. Tolerance seeks to be thought of as good in another person's eyes. Love comes from fearing God. Tolerance comes from fearing man. And then he says, nowhere in scripture is tolerance held up as a virtue to be admired. It's never held up as a virtue. Just a reminder. He says, he says, this is just a reminder to anchor your values in God's word, not in a world's broken system. This world whose prince, all right, is the devil himself, wants us, he wants the church to believe in a different Jesus than the biblical Jesus. He wants us to be convinced of someone else, to receive a different spirit than the one we received at salvation, and to believe a different gospel than the one so carefully laid out for us in scripture. And that's what Paul is saying is happening to them. And nothing's new under the sun. It's the same tactics that he uses today. 
And we have to see that. We have to, we have to be able to call that out. So Paul is telling them, and God is ultimately telling us as well, why do you put up with such things? There are truths and there are lies. We understand that. There are truths and there are lies. But listen to this. Only one of them, according to Scripture, truly sets you free. The lie masquerades as something that will set you free. But the truth is only the truth will set you free. But we have to be skilled in the knowledge of the word. You guys know what that means, to be skilled in the knowledge of the word? Like we can know about it or we can know it. All right? Like being skilled in the knowledge of the word is something we should all seek, all right? Uh, if we're going to protect ourselves and protect others. Look at what Paul says here. He says, indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even though they say I am inferior to them, is what he's saying. He's saying, I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. And he's being sarcastic. Like, I, I just see Paul going, super apostles, right? And so he says, I'm, I'm not... I'm not in the least inferior to them. And look at this. Even if I am unskilled in speaking. Did you guys know that about Paul? He was a terrible communicator. Paul was not a skilled communicator. I would have never thought that. But here's the honesty. Like when I write a sermon and when I deliver a sermon, what I wrote is way better than what comes out of my mouth every single time. And so I feel like that, I feel like that's what Paul experienced as well. Like he's got time to like say, no, I don't want to say it that way. No, I want to say it this way. No, I want to say it. And then like, but whenever, whenever it comes to it and I got it down and I'm like, this is going to be awesome. Then it comes out of the, out of my mouth. Most of the time I'm like, Oh, just blew it, right? Like I didn't say exactly what I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it. it didn't come off like that. Like Paul is like, you know what? I may be unskilled in speaking, but look, I am not so in knowledge. He says, indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Paul is saying, I may not be a flashy speaker like these super apostles, but that does not make me inferior to them. What I lack in oratorical skills I make up for in knowledge. You see, what the church had fallen for was again, nothing different than what so many fall for today. Like people are always like, ah, oh, the enemy is coming up with new ways all the time because there's tech. No, he's been doing the same thing over and over and over again because we're the same people that fall for the same thing that he's, that, that have fallen for for, for years, for centuries, right? So it's nothing different from what I see, you know, happening far off today. Like our world today is full of preachers who are absolutely wonderful communicators. Like they are awesome to listen to. I, I find myself just going, wow. Like if I could communicate that well, that would just be incredible, right? But that's me being jealous of something and not jealous for something. See how that works? The Bible just gets you every time. But... There's so many of them that are just funny, right? They speak so eloquently and with such ease. They don't fumble over their words. They're incredibly creative and they're incredibly engaging. And, and they're probably on TV. Like they're probably on TV. They probably got like a huge following. You look on their Instagram, they got like a check, right? A little blue check because they are awesome. And they are just so good at communication. And they're able to send everyone off feeling hyped up and great about themselves and, and you know, we have church at 4.30 and there's a hum of an air conditioner. I, I, I leave people tired. That's, that's what I feel like. <laughs> like, you know? And so, I mean, but these people, they walk, people walk out of church and these people are like, yeah, like this is great. This is awesome. 
But listen, in so many cases of these churches, though, these sermons are tragically void of actual knowledge when you go and listen to some of them. Like there are so many of them that they're good at hyping up and they're good at getting followers. But Paul is like, look, that stuff, I know these super apostles are really polished. I know they're super flashy. Like I know they got the ripped jeans and the tattoos and the hair and like the stuff, you know, but like, but, but he's like, I don't have that. But, but what I do have is knowledge. And he's like, and that, that, that means that I am not inferior to them. I am not inferior at all in knowledge. And listen, let's face it. Well, actually, I wrote this down. I'm going to say it because if I don't, I'm going to kick myself like I just said. They speak as if they know of the Lord, but they don't speak like they know the Lord. There's a difference. And hopefully you can identify that. Like whenever you're hearing someone and, and they're speaking and, they're, and they're, they're preaching a message from the word, are they, are they just preaching like they know of the Lord? Or are they really preaching like they know him? Like they, it comes from a place of knowledge. Let's face it, we love flashy. I do, I love flashy, right? Um, like I, I like shoes. I don't know why, it's just this thing. Like I just like shoes. Like we went on vacation this past week, I bought like three pairs of shoes. Like I know, right, that's so sad. My wife is like, I got more shoes than she does. Like I do, I like flashy. Like whenever the new iPhone comes out, I'm always like, ooh, ooh, I want that, right? The new iWatch comes, like, oh, I want that too, right? I like, like I can, I can, be drawn to flashy, but flashy isn't always best, especially when it comes to who's teaching you from the word of God. So I'll illustrate it like this. We have, um, I hate mosquitoes. Anybody? Like, I, I hate them. I hate them. I just, they bother me. It's, it's, and I, I, I talked, I talked to our um, gen senders, like our interns about this. And I was like, what's the literal worst? And now they make fun of me for that. But I'm like, what's, what's the literal, it's whenever you are trying to go to sleep at night and you know there's a mosquito in your room. I hate that. Like, so, so my wife and I, we were like, look, like my son was getting bit. Like we're sitting there trying to watch a movie in the living room and we like to turn the lights off, but that's whenever the mosquitoes like to come out. And, and I'm just sitting there watching a movie and I'm like itching everywhere. And I'm like, there's multiple, like I'm being attacked right now. Like there are multiple of them and I'm being attacked. And so I went on Google and I was like, I need to find something that will kill these mosquitoes in my house. Like, how do you do it? And there's like things that are like, all you need to do is turn off the lights and then shine a light from like your phone or a flashlight. And then the mosquito will make its way over to you. And then you just see it and kill it. That freaks me out. I don't want the thing even near me, right? Like I, I do not want to get, like I could see myself shining a light and then it coming over here, right? And then I don't even know I'm getting bit. So I was like, what, what do I need to do? So we bought this cool little contraption. If you've been in my living room lately, you've seen it. It looks like a spaceship sort of. When you turn it on, like we have all the lights out. And, uh, and whenever you turn it on, there's this beautiful, bright blue light. And it's very alluring. Like I look at it and I'm like, wow. So, I mean, it really works on the mosquitoes. But the thing it does is there's this awesome blue light. And then there's this fan that sucks down like right below the blue light. And then there's a sticky trap on the bottom of it. And so it's this really cool looking cylinder thing. And, and so I, I bought that thing. I bought two of them. I put one in Eli's room and I put one in uh, the living room. And whenever I got up the next morning, it was like Christmas. I was like, ooh, let's go see if we caught anything. And man, I'm telling you, there were three mosquitoes. It was worse than I thought. 
there were three mosquitoes in that trap. And I was like, thank you. But there was just something about that blue light. That's the only thing that those mosquitoes just come in and they're like, Ooh, wow, this is not. And then they die. Right. I mean that, but, but think about this for just a second. Is that not exactly how the enemy will get us? Like with flashy stuff that makes us go, Ooh, I like that. Look, because I want I want you guys to see what he says uh, in this next set of scripture. Because he like you, this is crazy. So we we got to be careful who we're drawn to, and that we don't just draw like we don't fall for flashy, okay? Because there is and listen to this. This will preach. There is a light of life, okay? Who the Bible says is Jesus, but there's also a light of deception. Check out this verse right here, verse thirteen. For such men, he's talking about those skilled speakers who teach a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. He says, are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Listen to this. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan is flashy. He disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise in 15 if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. I want, to, I want you to picture something for a second in your mind, just for a moment, all right? Imagine you're at home, whatever home is, wherever, and imagine that you are by yourself. Now imagine that the devil shows up right in front of you, all right? It just shows up, all right? Let me ask you this question. What does he look like in your mind? Like what, what does he look like? What, like, is he this hideous, like evil looking, scary thing that you just picture and then you're like, ah, like, right? Like you just are going to be freaked out. Is he, is he red? Does he have horns and a pitchfork? Like, is that how, is that, is that what the version of the devil that you have, right? Does the sight of him in your mind, like even thinking about it, make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up? Yeah, because that's not how he's going to show up. Like if Satan showed up to me looking like that and was like, follow me, I'd be like, I'm good, <laughs> right? Like I just, that's just not how it's going to be. But allow me to illustrate something. How many of you guys like action movies? Like the Bourne movies or like Mission Impossible or like the Oceans movies, you know what I'm talking about? I'm dating myself by saying those things right there. But man, I, I, like, I, love, like, I love those kinds of movies. You know, where, where they like have to put this con together, you know, and, and then you just watch it all in vulnerable. Like, that's just, this is genius. Like this whole thing. I love it. Like, I just love watching all of those things. But whenever they're trying to infiltrate somewhere, do they walk in with masks and guns and demands? No. Why? Because they're going to be stopped, right? They're, they're automatically going to experience resistance right from the beginning. Instead, what do they do? They dress as something safe. They're going to dress as like one of the waiters that are coming around with the hors d'oeuvres, right? You've all seen it happen. Like they infiltrate some system and beat up some like waiter and then like put on his outfit and then they walk around with a towel and around their arm and then they're just like hors d'oeuvres, right? Why? So that they can infiltrate the system. Yeah, sometimes they disguise themselves as a security guard. Like, this is, this is the kind of things that they do. They, they, they want to appear unsuspecting. They want to appear safe even, right? Even, even if the most top-notch security isn't able to detect them, why, why wouldn't they be, 
Well, because they're looking in the wrong place, right? So listen, listen to this. If the enemy showed up trying to convince you to believe a lie, he's not going to show up with horns and a pitchfork. Not going to do it. His best tactic is to disguise himself. And the scripture illuminates his description as an angel of light, something that appears godly. Isn't that weird to think about? The enemy is going to appear godly? Like something that's going to appear safe. And an in-depth look will show, though, that, it's, that, that he's actually counterfeit. If you know, if you know the word and you know what the truth is, you'll be able to discover that counterfeit. That's why knowledge of the word is so, so important. Listen to this statement. The enemy of best is not bad. The enemy of best is good. That right there will help so many of us. Like he's not going to appear to you and say, follow me. He's going to try to convince you that something else is good and tell you to follow that. That's what he's going to do. Because when you are following that, you are not following Jesus. The reason false teachers are so popular and have so many followers is because they wear a cloak of good. They wear a cloak of safety. They wear a cloak of godliness. And you might ask, do these false teachers know that they're false teachers? I believe some do. I believe some are very aware that they're just in it for the money and that they're scamming so many people. But some, I think, sincerely believe that they're doing the Lord's work. But they're so blinded by success, I think they mistake success for God's blessing. And that's something that's very, very easy to do. But listen to this. It wasn't Jesus who said, all this I will give to you if you'll bow down and worship me. Those words came from the devil. Those are words straight from him. So these false teachers in Corinth have talked a big game selling themselves by boasting in themselves. And I'm sure their rhetoric was full of like humble brags and everything. Uh, but in lifting themselves up to validate their message, they put Paul down to invalidate his. So in order to prove his intentions, in order for Paul to prove that his intentions have always been pure and that they are not selfishly motivated and to protect them and to protect the gospel, Paul begins doing what he calls foolish. He starts boasting in himself, which if you know Paul, and as we saw last week and we'll see in the next week, he is really just boasting in the Lord. But I know that it pained him to have to do what he's about to do. So if you'll look in verse 22 to 28, we're going to read this because this is what he feels his hand has been forced. He's going to boast in himself for a moment because he wants to remind them of the legitimate ministry that God has called him to do. Listen to this, 22. He says this, are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Like that was one thing that they were so impressed with them by. Oh, they were Hebrews. He's like, are they Hebrews, these false teachers? Well, so am I. And it's funny because he's boasting in this. And, I, and I, Paul knows he can't take credit for being a Hebrew. Like, can you take credit for what you are? No. Like none of us can take credit for that. So he's so, he's like boasting in this. Are they Hebrews? How, they're boasting that they're Hebrews. He's like, well, so am I. Are they Israelites? Well, so am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. I, I. I just hear him going, this is so foolish that I have to even like brag about this at all. And then he says in 23, are they servants of Christ? I love this. He says, I'm a better one. 
And then what does he say after that? Oh my gosh, I'm talking like a madman right now. Like he, he cannot stand what he's saying about himself right now, right? It's, he's like, it's mad to think I have anything to do with being a servant of Christ. And then he says, what about himself? With, I have far greater labors. We talked about that word before. And it's, it's, it's to work to the point of weariness, to like be exhausted, right? It's a word we use to describe the work a woman goes through to have a child. So you understand that word labor and what that means. He's like, he's like I've, I've, I've far greater labored than they have. And then what does he say? Far more imprisonments with countless beatings. This is a resume and often near death. He says this, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. So that's 39 lashes if my math is correct. 40 lashes less one. Now listen to this. Back then, maybe you're going, what? I don't understand that. 40 lashes was the death penalty. So if they didn't want to kill you, but they wanted to send you a message, they would give you 39 lashes instead. And what does he say? He's like, five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. And, 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 and all that was is they were like, if you lash them 40 times and we've not given them the penalty of death and they die, then, then their death is on the lasher. But if they only lash them 39 times and they die, then they're not responsible for their death. So Paul was lashed five, five times up to this point, by the way. Like this point right here, and, and this is crazy because I want to show you something for just a second. Like you may be thinking, oh yeah, like some of the things that we're about to read that he's done, you might go, yeah, I remember reading about that in Acts. Well, up to this point when Paul is writing this, he's, we're only up to Acts chapter 19. Like there's a lot of Acts left to go. And in fact, it's kind of crazy because the things that are listed here are it's, it's like less than 25% of all the things that we actually know about, about Paul. Like, so whenever we read this, we're going, oh my goodness. Like whenever we read all these things, there's only a few of these things that are even written about up to chapter 19. Over 75% of the things that he's listing here, we never read about in the book of Acts. So Paul has gone through even more. Like we looked at Paul and went, man, you are awesome. We can't even touch all the things that he's been through. So it's kind of, it's kind of incredible. Look, and he continues on in, 20, in 25. He says, not only like was I lashed 39 times, five different times. He says in 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. So he was hanging on to some sort of something in the water, just, you know, trying to like not die. He's, he's, he's there a day and a night. On frequent journeys, like whenever he would make his journeys around to plant these churches and stuff, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, because people would jump out and they would beat you and they would steal your stuff all the time. Dangers from my own people, the Jews. Dangers also from the Gentiles. Dangers in the city. Dangers in the wilderness. Danger at sea. It's like, look at all the things that, that I've gone through. All the labors that I've gone through. Dangers from false brothers in toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Listen, false teachers are going to try to convince you that the gospel is about you. 
They're going to try to convince you that the gospel is about you, that godly living is all about health and wealth and prosperity, and it makes much of you. That's what a false teacher is going to teach. But the true gospel is about Christ, and the true gospel makes much of Christ. And when you are dedicated to a life of making much of Christ, that's what the Corinthians first did. They, would, they dedicated themselves to a life and a gospel of making much of Christ. Listen to this. When you're dedicated to that, that's a Christianity that people want to change. That's a Christianity that people don't want to be a part of. That's a Jesus they don't want to follow. It's a spirit they don't want to receive and a different gospel than the one they want to believe. Why, why, why do we fall prey to false teachers that make much of us? Because when we, make, when we make much of Jesus, life is hard. Whenever we're making much of ourselves, life's a little bit easier. And that's why whenever we sign on, maybe at the beginning, we're like, man, I, I need to be saved. Like, I, I want to put my faith and trust in Christ. Like, I believe this. Why, why do we see so many people fall for false teaching? It's because when they signed up, it was harder than they thought it was going to be. And I'll bet we've all experienced that. I'll bet sometimes we've looked at the preacher on the TV that was like, God wants you to be rich. He wants you to have prosperity. He wants you to, you know, all of like, all, like you just picture this life and you look at the preacher up there and what has he got? He's got like fancy cars and he's living in like a mansion. You look at that and you go, that's the Christianity I want. Like that's the Christianity that I, that I signed up for. Not, not this other thing that just is constantly hard. That people constantly do these things. But listen, Je Jesus didn't say, hey, I'll pick up my cross and follow you. What did he say? He said, pick up your cross and follow me. I know an easy life is what we'd all like to have. A life with no laboring or pain or imprisonments or, you know, for our faith or beatings. A life where no one throws stones at us for our message that we tell. A life where there is no danger, there's no toil, there's no hardships, there's no sleepless nights, there's no hunger, there's no thirst. And listen, that's coming, but that's in eternity. That's going to be our reward. But in this vapor of a life, God has called each of us to labor for him. That's what he wants us to do. Think for a moment about the people who bring you the most encouragement in your faith. Who brings you the most encouragement in your faith? Is it the ones who are driving fancy cars or the ones who are enduring through trials? Who are the ones that bring you the most encouragement? The ones who suffer but keep on persevering? Are those the ones that really bring you encouragement? Yes. Like imagine Paul writing these things from a mansion in the Hamptons. That's silly, right? We'd be like, yeah, easy for you to say, you know? No. <laughs> Paul's like, I've been through the thick of it. Instead, we're encouraged by the ones who labor, the ones who have been pressed in yet press on. Those are the ones you want to read about. Those are the inspirational ones God uses in your life to, to keep you running this race. It's pretty incredible. And, uh, and then he finishes out the chapter. We're actually going to finish this out next week uh, because he's going to, to switch gears here just a little bit because he's been, he has to because he's just boasted about himself and he probably feels like he needs to take a shower like after that. But he's going to switch gears and he begins explaining why he'd rather boast in his weaknesses. 
And I'm looking forward to that next week. And it's, and it's an interesting thought because we usually have a tendency to complain about our weaknesses, uh, but Paul finds a way to boast in them and we can too. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.